Luke chapter 12, as we continue in our sermon series, in our series that we're going through, out of the crowd and into the kingdom. Out of the crowd and into the kingdom. And folks, I have to tell you that the king of this kingdom, he's coming back again. We talk about moving from the crowd into the kingdom. And even as we've been discovering over the last few weeks that Christ is saying, why are you storing up for yourselves treasures here on earth? The reason why he can say that is because the king is coming back again. And at that moment, we're going to realize that all of that stuff didn't matter. Listen, when the king of glory comes back, the king of all creation, the one who upholds creation with the word of his power, the one who calls people by their name and they get up from the grave, the one who says to the sea, this is how far you can come and no further, the one who speaks a word to the storm, peace and storms are calmed. The one who has defeated Satan, who has crushed the head of the serpent, the one who has defeated death by dying. When that king comes back and we're standing face to face with him, I doubt, believers, I doubt that in that moment we're going to be thinking, man, I wish I would have bought more stock in Apple. (laughs) We're faced with the king of glory. I, I doubt our thoughts are going to be... Ah, I should have bought that truck that I really wanted. I should have gone on that vacation. Should have gotten that other house, that vacation home. I should have golfed more or hunted more. When we're standing before the king of glory, I imagine based upon what Luke is getting ready to tell us that the only thing we're going to be thinking is he is worthy of all of our obedience. And then the second thought, I imagine, will be sort of a question. Did we obey him? Luke 12, beginning at 35. If you are able, would you please stand for the reading of God's word? The word of the Lord. Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. And be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at his table and he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief was coming, he would have not left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready for the son of man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Peter said, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? The Lord said, who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. 
But if that servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him. And at an hour he does not know, he will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. And that servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. I came to cast fire on the earth and would that it were already kindled. I have a baptism to be baptized with and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Do you think that I've come to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. From now on in one house, there will be five divided, three against two, two against three. They will be divided, father against son, son against father, mother against daughter, daughter against mother, mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law, daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. He also said to the crowds, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once, a shower is coming, and so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say, there will be scorching heat, and so it happens. You hypocrite. You know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? The reading of God's word, you may be seated. The king is coming back. And when the king comes back, several things are going to take place when the master returns. The first thing that's going to take place when the master returns is that the faithful will be blessed. And if the faithful are blessed, I think we should know some characteristics of the faithful to find out if we find ourselves in that category. First characteristic of the faithful is that they are dressed for action. Most of your translations, as you read verse 35, it has a footnote next to dress for action. And if you go down and read that footnote at the bottom of your Bibles, it says, have your loins girded. How many of y'all use that phrase today? When your kids are getting ready for school, kids, hurry up and have your loins girded. As your wife or spouse was getting ready for worship, hurry up, we got to get to church, have your loins girded. It simply means that you need to get ready for action. Get ready to do something. Understand that back in these times, the, the robe that they used to wear was this long flowing robe. You look at the robe, it's not, it's not made for much mobility. So they would literally take the bottom of their robe, pull it up and tie it into their belts to have a, a much more range of motion. That's what Christ is saying. When he says stay dressed for action, he is saying to his disciples, be ready to go to work. Be ready to do something. As a matter of fact, the last time this phrase was used in this way and in this manner, it was back over in Exodus chapter 12. You remember what happened over in Exodus chapter 12? It was the Passover. Notice these words. In these manner, you shall eat it with your belt fastened. There's that phrase, with your loins girded. Sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand. And you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. 
there again, God is telling his people to gird their loins. God is telling his people to get ready for action. So when Christ says this exact same phrase over in Luke chapter 12, what he's doing is sort of cluing them in to what has taken place previously. Their mind's eye would immediately go back to Exodus and say, man, the last time God told us to gird our loins in this fashion, God showed up and he did a mighty work in much the same fashion. Christ says, gird your loins. The master is getting ready to show up and do a majestic work over in Exodus. When they girded their loins, the, the king showed up and he blessed them by freeing them. But here in Luke chapter 12, the king is going to show up and he is going to bless them by serving them. Stay dressed for action. Have your loins girded. Be ready to work. Not only that, but the faithful servant is one who is actively waiting. You will see that in verse 36. Be like men who are waiting for their master to come. Brothers and sisters, waiting is not a passive word. Waiting is not like I'm just going to sit back and chill. No, waiting is a longing and anticipation and expectation, a desire, a I can't wait till the king comes back. It reminds me of my youngest son, Fat Nugget. <laughs> Many of you have met Fat Nugget, but... And people get concerned as, as our nicknames. They're like, why do you call him Fat Nugget? I'm like, well, he's only two years old. And we sort of made this vow. By the time he hits 17, we're going to stop calling him Fat Nugget. <laughs> so we still, we still got some time. But week in and week out, it reminds me of him. Every time we drop him off to children's ministry, it's the same thing week in and week out. We drop off Fat Nugget and there's, there's a lot of tears, a lot of anguish, a lot of expecting. There's a, there's a few moments of happiness, but overall it is this expecting his mom and dad to come back to get him. And I kid you not, every week, if you've ever worked in children's ministry, you understand this if you work with Fat Nugget. Every week, Mandy and I have to, have to race over to children's ministry because as soon as the doors open, he's looking like, Where, where's, where's mom and dad? I know they're coming. Where are they? I think a lot of that describes our time here on this earth. Some tears, some pain. Yeah, there's some moments of happiness. But Luke says overall, it should be this expectancy that the king is coming back to get us. So I simply ask you this, this morning, how's your waiting? How are you waiting this morning? Has the cares and the trinkets of this world sort of distracted you from the fact that the king, the king is coming? Has the cares and burdens of this world taking your mind away from the thought that the master is returning back to get us? If you're dressed for action and you're you're waiting. 
text goes on and he says in verse 37, those who are dressed for action, those who are waiting, it says, blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake, longing, expecting, desiring him to come back. You notice in verse 37, it says, truly, I say to you, the word truly there literally means a man. Amen, I am saying to you. Whenever in scripture you see this, this sort of connection, this equation of Christ saying amen and then some words that follow, what Christ is doing there is giving us a promise. Amen. We should sort of turn our ears to the text because Christ is getting ready to give a magnificent promise to his people. What is the promise? Look at verse 37 and following. It's going to echo out, the word, echo out the words of 2 Corinthians when he says all the promises through Jesus Christ are yes and amen. What is this promise? The master, when he comes home, he will dress himself for service. He will take his servants, put them at his table, recline them and the master of all glory is going to serve them. What? You talk about a switcheroo. I don't usually use that word. That's kind of strange, but it just, it sort of fits with the moment. It's a switcheroo. Because here you have, here you have the, the servants waiting for their master. Their loins are girded. Their robe is tied around their belt. They're saying, Jesus is coming. He's coming back soon. When is he coming? Lord, what can I do? What can I do? The master comes back home. They're like, yes, you're back. Let me serve you. And the master does something phenomenal. He dresses himself like a servant. Puts them at his table. And he waits on them. Oh, my God. Folks, how's your waiting? The king, the king of glory, the, the one who upholds all of creation with a word of his power. The king of glory, the one that calls dead men by their name and they get up from the grave. The king, the one who says to the sea, this is how far you can come and no further. The one who crushed the head of the serpent, the one who defeated death by dying. Get this picture. When he returns, saints, he's going to come back and he's going to get down and he's going to serve us. What in all of creation is a greater thought than that? I imagine as we're there getting served by Christ, in that moment, I don't think we're going to be yelling at Christ, what took you so long? I think we're going to be saying, my Lord, you would serve us. The master is coming. Doesn't that sort of remind you of what he did in this first coming? You remember over in Philippians where Paul writes, and he says, he who was in the form of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he humbled himself and he took on the form of a what? Of a servant. 
say it's his second coming. For those who are faithful, it's going to look a lot like his first coming. In that Christ, the king of all of glory, is going to serve us. But wouldn't it make it a lot easier if we knew when he was coming? Wouldn't that make our waiting just a little bit easier if Christ says on this date at this time, I'm coming back to get you. But then verses 38 through 40 sort of clue us in. Sorry, you're not going to know. Christ compares himself to a thief in the night. No need to get hung up on that. Christ is not calling himself a thief. This was just a common expression to let people know that something is happening at an unexpected time. So what he's saying then, if you don't know when Christ is coming, we should be in the posture of steadily being dressed for action, always waiting until he comes. If we don't know, we should be always waiting for our king to come back. If we don't know, we should be always longing for the king of glory to come back and get us. Not only that, third characteristic of a faithful servant. Third characteristic is the faithful servant is feeding other servants. Peter asks a great question there in verse 41. Peter says, Lord, is, is this for everybody or is it just for us, the select few? It reminds me of my kids, whenever we tell my kids to do something and everybody's doing a great job, we say, you know what? Everybody has done such a great and marvelous job. We're going to give everybody ice cream. Without fail, I kid you not, the kid who has done the most work will always come and say, um, you're going to give everybody ice cream or just the ones who did the most work? That's kind of like what Peter's asking here. Lord, this is so sweet. The promises of you coming back to get us and serving us is so sweet. Is this for everybody or is it just for a select few? Then Christ goes and gives the third characteristic of a faithful servant. The faithful servant realizes the food he's been given is not just for himself or herself. The food he's been given is for others as well. Verse 41 and following. When the master returns, he expects the faithful servant to be feeding other servants. Did you notice that? Divide the food for the servants at their proper time. Now, you have to realize that with Christ, food is never just food. Whenever Christ gives an illustration of food, it's always sort of indicating something deeper. Here we have these texts in front of us. Probably the most popular of this is John chapter 21. In John 21, after they had just finished eating breakfast, Christ looks to Peter and he says, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, yeah, I love you. And he says, feed my sheep. Second time he looks to Peter, Peter, do you love me? Yes, yes, Christ, you know I love you. Feed my sheep. Third time, Peter getting a little bit agitated. Christ, do, do you love me, Peter? Peter says, Lord, you know I love you. And Christ says, feed my sheep. The implication as we look at these passages then is that food is not just food with Christ. It is a longing for righteousness. It is a longing for Christ Jesus. It is being fed with all the words and commandments of Christ. 
being fed with all the promises of Jesus Christ. In other words, what Christ is saying here in Luke chapter 12, when he tells us to be worried about feeding the other servants, what he's saying simply then is, we should be in the business of making disciples. When the king comes back, what he should find us doing is feeding other servants, a.k.a. making disciples. You remember the passage in Matthew 28, the Great Commission, when Christ says, all authority has been given to me, therefore go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Holy Ghost is King James Version. Holy Ghost and teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always to the end of the age. This parable here, Luke chapter 12, finds its placement smack dab in the middle of the Great Commission. When Christ returns before the end of the age, he should find his disciples worried about feeding other disciples. Is that what we're going to be doing? Because if not, the second thing that's going to take place when the master comes back is that the faithless will be judged. Saints, discipleship is, is the surefire way to prevent your own spiritual gluttony. Discipleship is the surefire way that as you're being poured into, you're not keeping that all for yourself and not pouring into other people. Why? Because Christ says in Luke chapter 12, the servant who is like that, there is a severe judgment coming to him. The one command the servant was given was to feed the other servants at their proper time to make disciples. It's amazing. When my wife and I first came to Gospel City, it was amazing how much we were just in awe of everything that was taking place at Gospel City. We, we brought our four kids and, and, and both the Michelles and Bethany. Man, they, they are drawing our kids closer to Jesus Christ in the children's ministry. And we looked at each other and all, and we're like, man, what if they get older? But if they get older, we're like, man, they have Tyler Downing who, who works so diligently with the youth and youth discipleship. And we're like, man, what if they, they get older? Who are they going to work with then? And they got Tyler Holder who pours into the college-age students and the men. My daughter, as she gets older, she has Aaron Harris and her team who absolutely kills it with the women's ministry. If they ever stumble or fall or fail, they can go to Pastor Nathan, who's in soul care. You got Pastor Wes, who was sort of the glue holding this together. You got Micah and his entire team who takes us before the throne of God week in and week out. Pastor Trent, who stands up here and declares the word of God week in and week out. You got the production and arts, creative arts team. You got the parking lot team. You got the ushering team. You got the team team. Just in case there is no team that hasn't been mentioned, there's a team for that. <laughs> Let me say this as clearly as I possibly can. Folks, God isn't doing all of this just for you alone. 
If, you, if this is your sort of testimony that you come in week in and week out and you leave, you're like, oh, I'm so full. The meal was so good today. My heart was poured into and you leave and you pour into no one else. You're not feeding other servants. You find yourself in the category of the faithless servant where you're consuming all the food that Christ never intended for you to eat it all yourself. All of that is given so that you can be nourished by yes, but so that you can feed other people. Is that your testimony? Well, discipleship is a surefire way to prevent your own spiritual gluttony. For sort of taking and never giving being fed but never feeding. Christ says that is then the faithless servant. Then he goes on to a couple more categories of faithless individuals. And let me say this. If you are under the sound of my voice this morning, if you can hear me either presently or on live stream, you are not the servant that is found in verse 48. The servant that is found in verse 48 is the one who says, Lord, I didn't know. If you came to church this morning, I'm sorry. I just removed that excuse from you. You can't go to Christ and say, I didn't know. When Christ says, follow me, make disciples, follow me, make disciples. If you are hearing my voice, you no longer have that excuse. I imagine if you stand before Christ as he returns and you say, Lord, I didn't know. He's going to say, where were you on November 24th during the 11 o'clock hour? Didn't you hear Pastor Stephen say that you're without excuse? All of it is sort of summed up. And what he says, to him much is given, much will be required. If you are given much, Christ wants a return on his investment. But here's the good news. If you're sitting here, you're like, man, I, Stephen, I don't know if I've been doing that. I've been sort of selfish. I've been sort of feeding myself, sort of stuffing my face, never giving out. Here's the good news for you. Christ hasn't come back yet. As, as I was writing that portion, I was like, man, wouldn't it be epic if, if as I said that, Christ came back. Man, that would be like a mic drop sermon. Y'all be, be like, Lord, that's the best sermon I've ever heard because it will be the last sermon you ever heard here on this earth. But Christ hasn't come back yet, right? There's still time. There's still time to be that faithful servant to take what he's given you and to pour into someone else. Because folks, the, the king is coming back and when he comes back, those who are faithless, those who are feeding themselves, there's a severe judgment waiting for them. The severest of that judgment is found in the verses that says he will be placed with the unfaithful. Oh, that should crush our hearts. If you read that portion of scripture, you're like, man, the worst part about this is him chopping his servant to pieces. No, Christ says it doesn't end there. He's placed with the unfaithful. Away from Jesus Christ. That should crush our hearts. When he comes back, the faithless will be judged. Not only that, the family will be divided. 
Here's what Christ requires of his disciples. He requires total allegiance. All of my heart, all of my soul, all of my mind. I went to Moody Bible Institute, which is, by the way, the greatest school ever invented on the planet Earth. I went there and I had a good friend of mine. Um, she had, she told me her, her testimony of how when she left Islam, she told her parents about Jesus Christ being the only way to salvation. She stood before her mom and dad and said, mom and dad, we've been living a lie. Jesus Christ is the only way. At that moment, her dad called his brothers in. He called the mom's brothers in. And in the middle of the house, they beat her for hours. And after that, they sent her out to this small shed for four days without food or water. And I looked at my friend, I said, what, was it worth it? Couldn't you have just followed Christ in secret? Wasn't that big of a deal? And she looked at me and she quoted this scripture to me. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my namesake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. She says, Stephen, I believe in the promises of God. I couldn't keep silent. Some of us in this room, maybe not to that great of degree, but because of your decision to follow Christ or being ostracized from your family, maybe communication has been cut off. Hear me and hear me well. There's a great reward for you. And all the promises of Jesus Christ are yes and amen. Not only that, saints, family's going to be divided. The fraud is going to be exposed when Christ comes back. Christ stands in the middle of these hypocrites and he says, you hypocrites, you know how to tell the weather, but you can't tell the present time. You can read the weather when it's weeks off, but the present time you cannot read. Some of you are like, yeah, that sounds like a weatherman today. I mean, they can read stuff like weeks in advance, but they can't tell when it's raining the day of. Christ says, you hypocrites, you can read everything. You're experts in everything, but you're not an expert in this present time. The present time is found in verse 49 through 50. Here's my only solution to the king coming back. My only solution to the king coming back is that we need to hide behind his first coming when he comes back again. What Christ did in his first coming, we have to hide behind it. That is covered in verses 49 through 50. Some of you studious note takers are like, man, Stephen, you skipped over 49 through 50. No, I didn't. I'm coming back to it right now. It's the hinge upon which all of this swings. Christ says, I'm bringing fire to the earth. I wish it was already kindled. I have this baptism of water and I'm in great distress until it is accomplished. Folks, whenever we see in scripture, this joining together of fire and water, it is indicating a great judgment is coming. A great judgment is coming. But folks, according to verse 49 and 50, Christ is saying, I'm in great distress until it is accomplished. In other words, we don't have to go through that judgment. 
It is finished. Reminds us of the prophecy that was given over in Isaiah when he says, but now thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not for I have redeemed you. I've called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. And the flame shall not consume you. Folks, here's what Christ is saying. The fire and the water means great judgment. But the fire and the water is meted out by Jesus Christ in our place. We need to hide behind his first coming because in his first coming, Christ not only went into the fire with us, he stepped into the fire, picked us up out the fire, placed us on the sideline, and he absorbed the entirety of the wrath of God on our behalf. He not only goes through the waters with us, but he steps into the waters, picks us up, places us on dry land, and he plunges the depths of God's wrath on our behalf. The next time we hear Christ say, until it is accomplished, it is on the cross of Calvary. After he paid the price for our sins, he says, it is finished. So come fire. Come water, there's another one in the midst of that.